Great to have your company on Racing Pulse once again. Don't forget, coming up after 11 o'clock, we'll have the full preview for Kilmore. Jerome uh, Hunter will also join us. He's got a couple of nice chances and also... Um, he had a few nice trialling yesterday, but from Crown Equine Veterinary Services, Ben Mason joins us back in studio. Ben, good to see you. It's been a little while. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, Michael. How's... You've been very busy, haven't you? It's been an interesting couple of months. Uh, obviously, uh, we all sort of descended up to the Magic Millions for the sales, um, and now we're back in, I'm back in Melbourne to enjoy the start of the Autumn Carnival. Uh, it was fascinating when we had you in during the spring because you came in basically uh, around the same time that uh, you were there when Half Cabin had that little bleed. And I'll talk mm. about his return on Saturday, which no doubt is everyone absolutely stoked at Team Godolphin. But I want to ask you about another horse, first of all, and that was Inundation, who um, had the, the hard issue on Saturday. We spoke to trainer Mick Price yesterday, who gave us a bit of in, an insight into the situation, what the future holds. And I want to get your thoughts on on why this occurs and, and how you can get a horse back. So we just had Laura Nath there do an ECG and uh, ultrasound for about an hour and uh, he's got no structural abnormality or damage there. Obviously he had a uh, severe atrial fibrillation so he's got to do a few things. He's definitely going out, he's going out for six weeks and we've got to take urine, blood, uh, look for a heart en- enzyme in there as a sign of damage but um, he's got normal rate and rhythm this morning so it has bounced back it bounced back Sunday morning also but he's got to go out six weeks and if we find a bad um, heart enzyme he's got to go out for three months but um, yeah unfortunate but uh, they do they can bounce back from it so what what's a heart enzyme that Mick's talking about okay so heart enzyme is troponin it's a cardiac troponins which are basically enzymes linked which you can find in blood linked specifically to the heart muscle so elevations you've got an issue and at normal levels they've already have reference ranges for normal levels and we do hear more of this now about uh, atrial fibrillation what exactly is that and what causes it atrial fibrillation is is that it causes it causes of um, an issue in the heart Let's start with that it happens in all sorts of athletes. So it happens in human athletes. I think Carl Chalmers had atrial fibrillation mm. as a swimmer. Uh, he had an abnormally large heart, but he could uh, manage that. And he, when he does manage it, he wins gold medals. Um, so atrial fibrillation is basically where the heart is not beating succinctly. So the heart is a pump. It pumps blood. Blood is full of oxygen, produces fuel for your muscles. If the pump stops working or if the pump does not work in sync, the muscles fatigue. It's a bit like having a car that runs out of fuel on the freeway. The car goes pop, 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 and suddenly you come to a grinding stop. And it's very similar with horses when they have atrial fibrillation. So if the heart is not pumping in a succinct manner, therefore... No blood is getting to that muscle and you are just the horse will just fatigue, have the wobbles, and it will lose oxygen to the muscles and the brain. And 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 why does it occur intermittently? Uh, one day a horse can race and have no issues, the next day it, it may suffer from this. Okay, so so what what causes atrial fibrillation? That's the golden question really. Um, and why does it happen in some of the good horses? Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Number one reason for atrial fibrillation is stress. 
Um, and generally, stress for the horse is not that so, so the horse has gone to a new location. Stress is that the horse has wanted to win and wanted to be there in the race but could not physically get over the line, and that would be an underlying lameness issue, generally, most likely behind, is a very, very common cause of, of this stress that they might have. Um, and they might have something else in their environment which they are not um, so much happy at home. Sometimes horses actually leave the stable in the morning and they'll have atrial fibrillation in the stable. So it's not necessarily what they've got at the race course. It's actually they've left with it initially, mm. got on the truck, got to the races, and then you can actually, some some horses, I know from overseas work, they've actually noted it, noticed it before their actual race start. So they've gone into the barriers with it, so that generally those horses race probably 800 metres, and then they sort of stop off the back. It, the important point is that it is transient, um, paroxyl. It, what that means, it, it they can get it, and then a few moments later, as Mick Price discussed, they are normal again. So you can have transient atrial fibrillation, which so it comes and goes quite quickly, and it's a source of frustration for vets to say, "Oh, what actually happened? Did it did it flip its tongue over the bit, or did it um, have a soft a palate issue, or did it have atrial fibrillation?" Well, the heart was normal post race, so they can actually self correct very very quickly. Source of enormous frustration, or it could be persistent atrial fibrillation, and they can have it for months. Months, months. They, I've had a horse, had it, they spelled the horse, it came in with it four months later. Gee. So uh, you can have it for months. Um, so does it affect them in the paddock? No. Does it affect them racing? Yes. They cannot put their gears down. They cannot accelerate to what normal horses can. So it is an issue with racing. And is there a treatment that can fix it? Yeah. So if you do have it and you have, it is it is uh, not transient, it is, it's almost permanent, there are treatment um, modalities which can fix it. One of them is just quite simply an oral medication, which is given every two hours and for five times until it's actually normalised. Um, over in Europe, they and they've done it here as well. They can actually put um, uh, the paddles, basically, you find on defib machines on the horse under general anaesthetic and then restart the heart so it actually comes into normal beat. That's a little bit more dramatic, uh, but it, that has been done quite successfully. They generally can get over it. It's wet, whether they get it again and again and again. And it just affects trainers because the horses perform poorly time and time again, which frustrates owners. Is it hereditary? No. Okay. Not that we know. They think it's hereditary in the standard breads, but there's no obvious link in the thoroughbreds just yet. Did you have a smile on your face when you watched Half Cabin burst away first up on Saturday? Well, yeah, you look at Half Cabin. Um, so, yeah, well, he's, a, he's, a, he's a machine. Uh, so he had his issue in Melbourne, as we know. He bled out the nostrils, and then he had his time off. Uh, he was managed up in Sydney, so I'm not too sure the nuances of what actually went on. But obviously, three and a half months post-bleed, he trialed, he won at Warwick Farm. And at four months post-bleed, he won his race. So timeline there is really interesting. So he did his time because that's what the rules of racing suggest he had to do, but he's come back and, and, and won. What's the likelihood of a bleed reoccurring once a horse has had one bleed? Uh, I, th- I think the statistics are showing that it's roughly between 10 to 20%. So that's pretty high. Pretty high that they come back and they can do it again. Yeah. So how do you try to negate that? How do you manage a horse? Uh, there's a number of ways. We manage it. Um, so... With him or with any perpetual bleeder, you'd obviously get your vet to scope them routinely after fast work. And then you can see if they're bleeding 
routinely after every fast walk or if they're not bleeding at all. Um, and if they are bleeding routinely, there are medications we can put them on to stop that inflammatory cascade going on when they do bleed. So when they bleed, they obviously bleed into the, into the lungs, goes in the trachea and then out the nose on a severe bout. But that leads to fibrosis of the lung, inflammation in the lung, massive inflammation in the lungs after that. So we need to stop that from then getting worse. And it basically, heart, you know, it, it, it doesn't do the lungs any favor every time you bleed. So we stop that by using diuretics. We can stop that by other means. But you monitor it with just regular scoping in the stable by the stable vet. And therefore, you get a good gauge on where that horse is. Mm. Otherwise, I mean, we know that you bleed more often in the cold weather. So you basically take the horse and don't gallop it at the coldest part of the morning, which okay. is sunrise. You gallop it at eight in the morning. So we've, we've done that, and that seems to make a huge difference. We know that bleeders occur when there's high atmospheric pressure. Not that you can do much about that because that's seasonal. But you can then gauge to say, okay, we're coming into that bleeding time frame. We have to be more wary about this horse going forward. We know that long-standing mucus, if horses have chronic mucus problems all the time, they can end up with thinning of the basement membranes, which can lead to bleeding. So get on top of your mucus issues, again, with your stable vet. Um, medication is, a, is an important, valuable tool there. And we know that horses that have had some sort of tieback or throat operation can lead to bleeding long-term. Right. So knowing that, you basically plan forward. And if you plan forward, there's, no, there's very, very little surprise and that's when everyone gets a bit sort of upset when that big surprise happens. Are you more likely to be a bleeder and reoccur uh, if you're in a high pressure sprint race or a long distance race? I think it doesn't. I don't think it matters. Doesn't at all. matter. It doesn't matter at all. No, a, there is a genetic element, but the genetic element is, is whether you're a sprinter or a stayer anyway. Um, but uh, it doesn't matter at all, really. I mean, I, there's horses that can bleed 200 meters out of the gates. Yeah, and you mentioned that genetic. Uh, Element, I know in the past there's been discussions, is it Germany? And I think Michael Kent a few years ago was talking about um, certain types of horses you should not breed from because you want to breed out some of these ailments from the thoroughbred, the racing thoroughbred. What What are your thoughts on that? Is oh, it true? If we want the purest model, we would... Um breed our stallions would be the best obviously the best racehorses out there but they'd also then be vetted after when they've been selected as a stallion and we would rule out horses that have had say laryngeal hemiplegia so they're rawers we'd rule out horses that had chronic issues with bleeding we'd rule out horses that had fragments taken out of their fetlocks or joints so they're brittle boned because um, that can all be passed on that could all be passed on so we would rule those out but we don't we don't and that's why you're so rich. <laughs> <laughs> and that keeps the vets employed. <laughs> um, but uh, the German model is that. That's what they do in Germany. Um, America, everything races on LASIK. So all their progeny, all their stallions, and a lot of their race mares are all produced bleeders after that. So it's a, it's a chronic cycle of issues that they've created over there in the last 20 years. Mm. Um, England is more on you know great performance, and I think in England they're very much attuned to what the horses are up to, um, but they don't really interfere as much with the horses' preparations that like they do in America. Speaking of internationals, you're going to be in charge of looking after the internationals who arrive in Sydney, I believe. Sydney. So how many internationals are likely to be arriving in Sydney for their autumn carnival? Well, I think there's only a handful coming so far. Uh, there's um, uh, William Haggis will probably come back. Um, Joseph O'Brien will probably come back and the Japanese are 50-50 whether they come back this year 
whether they've got something up there which they want to bring down. What are you thinking about the... Are there any protocols for internationals in Sydney from a, a, uh, an equine welfare point of view? From an importation point of view, um, no, there's not. not. Not the similar sort of scenario we have down in Melbourne. No. Is, is that Russian roulette or are you comfortable with that? Oh, I'm not comfortable with that at all. It's um, I think things will change if we did have a situation like we had in Melbourne three years ago. I think if the Sydney Carnival had, during the championships, an international horse that had a major incident on the racetrack, I think the protocols would probably change overnight. Um, it seems to be Victoria is very much on the forefront now. And I have to say this, they're on the forefront that the Breeders' Cup organising committee are asking them now, how did we do it? Or how did they do it? How did the team do it? And what did they use? And they're looking at implementing a similar program over in America. Really? With the CT, the standing CT. They're, they've, had a, they've had a quite a, an alarming rate of injured horses, obviously, coming across the pond from England. And they want to basically, they've got their trot up. So they've got their screening in place already, but they want to up the ante as wow. well. So they've looked at us as a benchmark in Melbourne, or not us, but Racing Victoria, um, as a benchmark in Melbourne. So I, I think that internationally, I think we just have to be very mindful. These horses are racing in different jurisdictions, different surfaces, different training techniques, and they're coming to our surfaces and they're not necessarily adapted to it. So you think that this could be the start of maybe other jurisdictions, America, but what uh, oh, it, it could I'm, lead? Yeah, I'm, America, Hong Kong, they're pretty strict already. Um, they have a, they have definitely you've got to jump so many hoops before even the horse even leaves Australia to go to Hong Kong. Um, so they have their systems in play. They don't have that end uh, MRI CT sort of link when you get there, but they are pretty good at screening and scrutinising once you're there. Um, uh, but Sydney definitely um, will change. Uh, I know Peter Curl's now in charge up there. And he's from Hong Kong, so he'll bring, obviously, new ideas to the table, um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do this year. So William Haggis is bringing a couple out. Aidan O'Brien bringing... Joseph. Uh, Joseph's bringing yep. a few out. So um, speaking with those internationals, uh, are they still pretty ardent that they won't go through those hoops to come to Melbourne? No, I, I think last year showed uh, we had a few internationals that did come and, and, and one in particular, he raced very well, came fourth in Melbourne Cup and they were all happy with that. Um, and he went through all those hoops. Uh, it, 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 it's a, it's a protocol in place to protect the sport. And we have to understand that for a specific cohort of horses, which are arriving for a specific race. So hard race, certain period in time. And we have to have certain measures to protect those horses to make sure nothing's missed. And that's what that system in play has done. Um, as we get on with social licensing and, and, and the, you know, basically the community and the sport, we have to be showing that we're doing any, everything in our power for animal welfare and using every available techn technological advance that we do have to help them. And I think that's what we've done so far. Uh, one last one before I let you go. Uh, the... Mooter changes for the spring carnival that would basically shorten up the gap between spring and autumn. As someone who works with these elite thoroughbreds each and every day from a veterinary point of view, do you think it could have an impact? Um, okay, so the top horses should race eight times a year. Um, eight times a year? Yep, in the top, the top grades. That's, that would be that'd be a, a normal statistic. Um, so they can, in group one level, they can race that sort of, sort of level of racing they should be able to do. Um, so backing them up, so two weeks, two weeks, three weeks break, 
spelling periods that they would have would be three months. If they did, then back into training and then off, off to the next carnival. It really, the dates would, would be interesting. There is so much Group 1 racing, if not in Australia, around the world now to choose from because you can extend your spring and go to Hong Kong with your horse. You can go to the Japan Cup with your horse, so extending that time in. Um, but between the two carnival periods, I think the trainers would be able to basically mix and match and work the horses oh yep you're in this race this race early you finish here on cox plate day and then we're going to start you on this day i think they can work their schedules out Mm. i don't think it matters ben fascinating as always appreciate your time we'll do it again in a couple of weeks thanks very much michael thanks for having me